When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses season something. Season five. We don't know what episode this is Jordan yet. Jordan will number it. Jordan will number this one for us. We this are <laughs> recording live at PenguinCon in uh, Detroit um, area, and we are very, very pleased to have special guest Saladin Ahmed. Say hello. Hello, everyone. And, you know, Dan's not here to do our tagline with us, so... Yeah, and you don't do? want to say not that smart? Is that uh, the issue? Because it's 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And Howard's not very smart. That's <laughs> what I expected to have happen. <laughs> okay. Saladin, um, tell us about yourself for a moment. Uh, I am a uh, fairly new fantasy writer. Um, uh, I've been lucky enough to be nominated for the Nebula and the Campbell for my short fiction. Uh, and uh, I have a novel, the first of a trilogy, coming out from DAW uh, in February of next year, which is a sort of epic fantasy spliced with uh, Arabian Nights mythology. Awesome. And thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Thanks for having me. We um, asked Saladin what he wanted to talk about, and he mentioned that something interesting to him is setting in fantasy. So we're going to do a setting podcast, and we're actually just going to pitch it at you. Um, why was this a topic that you're so interested in? Uh, I, I think because um, I, I come from two different directions of it. One is that uh, as a reader, I'm very used to very traditional settings in epic fantasy, and uh, I love them, and I love that familiar furniture. Um, but I also, uh, in my own work, I'm kind of trying to set things in slightly different worlds, and I like reading work that uh, plays with those expectations. And um, uh, we talked about Daniel Abraham yeah. a second ago and, and his long price quartet. And uh, I, I, I like kind of seeing both sides of those things, how people use traditional settings in new ways and also how people just explore new settings. Cool. Um, I really, we haven't actually done a non-traditional settings podcast, so this is, this is going to be cool to talk about because one of the things, um, when I became a writer, I was actually getting really kind of tired of the familiar hmm. archetypes, honestly. I mean, um, and I think this happens to us. I've been reading fantasy since I was 14. I sure. love the genre, and there is something I love about this standard fantasy setting, but you've got to admit it's kind of generic. Yeah. I mean, it isn't even really medieval Europe. Martin's doing exactly. a real medieval yeah, Europe. Yeah. Most of fantasy is not. Right. They're not even really trying. Yeah. Um, and, but why is it, do you think, like there have been non-traditional settings all along, and yeah. none of them really took off. Yeah. Um, until, you know, even Martin's is at least medieval Europe. Why, are none of, why did none of them take off? Uh, well, I think there's a, there is a tendency in the readership to want the familiar. I mean, I know part of why I come back and again and again to epic fantasy is because I want familiar stuff there. And um, I think that it can be very challenging for people if they have to kind of learn a whole new world. If, if they know what a knight is, they know what a castle right. is. Um, and so then you can mess with them from there. But if you have to learn, you know, what a caliph is, right. then uh, you're kind of doing a lot more work, and some readers won't go there with you. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, we've talked a lot on the podcast about learning curve. Oh, yeah. And now, so when, when you say non-traditional setting, 
um, I look at the Mistborn tri trilogy yeah. as a non-traditional setting. See, yeah. my, my non-traditional say I'm one step away, yeah. where I think we could be doing stuff that's three or four steps away. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I wanted to write something. Well, one that's step why away, I wanted to come over and ask you. You know, when yeah. you say when you say Caliph, are you treating um, you know the the Middle Eastern, the Far Eastern worlds as non-traditional settings by virtue of them not being Western? Because that, to me, if you've studied any history at all, those are just one step away. Yeah. Well, I, I think they're one step away in actual history, but in the genre, yeah. uh, they're, they're okay. a couple of steps they're away. They're a couple steps away because it, it, fantasy is really weird. Fantasy, it seems like, you know, we had Tolkien, and I've talked about this before. Tolkien came along, particularly epic fantasy, and boom! Tolkien was huge. Tolkien yeah. was, the, you know, the J.K. Rowling or the Twilight of his day. It was right. a massive, unexpected success story. Yeah. And er left everybody scrambling and saying, what just happened? Yeah. Where, where did this come from? And um, I think the next uh, 20 years, it was more of a scramble to kind of reproduce this magic. Mm -hmm. But during that act of reproducing this magic, we came to expect that this was the way it was going to be done, yeah. um, which isn't the fault of the writers or even of the audience. It's just yeah. what ended up happening. Yeah. Um, and I think we fell into it almost by accident. And it, so that part of what Tolkien was yeah. trying to do was say, you know, it would be fun to have a mythology behind Western civilization yeah. that is not the Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian mythology. Mm -hmm. Let's do something that that you know pulls the Fae into it. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote. Yeah. fantasy that feels like medieval stuff yeah. um, and and the rest of us read it and loved it and assumed oh well that's just how it's done yeah. yep yeah I really think that happened but it doesn't have to be I mean fantasy should be the genre where we can do anything yeah. um, it should be the most open genre not the most exclusive so, genre. so what do we do to break out so of it? so what do we do to break out of Saladin? it well what I'm trying to do in my work because I do want those readers that like me at, at 15 and 16 and, and then well into 20s and 30s wanted this familiarity is um, trying to splice familiar elements from the genre into a, a quote unquote exotic setting. Right. And so I have the, the virtuous unbending paladin. I uh -huh. have the kind of cranky old wizard. I have these archetypes, but the, the clothing they wear and the titles they go by and the buildings around them and the foods they eat and all of those things are, are going to be unfamiliar to many readers. And I hope that there will be enough of a familiar hook in there that people will say, oh, I, I, I know that guy, but he's, but he's different. So the touchstones are in the, the characters, in the people, rather than in the setting. I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't see why anybody would have a problem with it. Yeah, it, I, it, you know, it should really work. Um, and you know, we're seeing it work more and more. I think the fantasy genre is still a young genre. Yeah. And I think what, a lot of what we're seeing are um, some of its growing pains. Um, where we we kind of familiar to one thing, but then we realize we're reading this genre because of the imagination to it. And if things become too familiar for us, we lose that imaginative aspect. You know, mm -hmm. we want to go explore new worlds and new yeah. places. Yeah. I want I want some gritty details. You threw Caliph at us mm -hmm. as a term. Yeah. Throw me some terms <laughs> from from your work, Saladin. Uh, I, I want to hear this. Well, uh, it's interesting because on the one hand, uh, I, I call it an Arabian Nights setting, but it's a secondary world. It's a made-up world. Uh, I, for a bunch of reasons, I didn't want to try and do genuine historical right. uh, medieval Islamic world. And so, much the way that most fantasy worlds are sort of uh, versions of medieval Europe without actually being medieval Europe, mine is a version of the medieval Middle East without actually being the medieval medieval Middle East. And so there are ghouls there, but they're a little bit different than the ghouls that are actually in Arabian mm -hmm. legend. There are jinn there, but they're a little bit different. Uh, and, and so those elements get um, 
get tweaked a little bit, but but people will know kind of what I'm winking at, I think, when they read it. Okay. Um, uh, do you have magic in it? There is magic in there. Okay. Um, Are you blending the magic into the myth, um, into the specific? I mean, wh where's the magic coming from? It's uh, it, it's going a little against the current grain in that it's a pretty high magic series. Okay. Uh, I know the, the the tendency now, uh, especially you know people following Martin, whose whose yep. books I love to death. Um, and who does low magic very well, um, but is to show very little magic because the idea is that you can okay, have overkill. High five me! High five me! <laughs> high magic! Yes. <laughs> and know, so I, I like I, this. Okay, no. I don't even know what that means. It just I'm means sorry. that there's there's magic all over the place. It's not a uh, a little trickle here and there, um, but it's uh, ah, it's not high versus low as in royal versus peasant. It's no. high versus low in terms of amount. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, we have really Learned something. dumb phrases in yeah. fantasy. I've noticed, like. <laughs> You know, yeah. the high fantasy, that it's just a fantasy with a lot of magic. Yeah. Um, and there is this low fantasy, low magic trend nowadays. Yeah. And there are lots of great books being written that way. But, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a high magic writer. Yeah. I love magic. And if you don't, I want to play with it. I want to use it. Yeah. And so, anyway. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Um, let's actually stop for our book of the week right now. Um, uh, Saladin, will you actually promo um, this book for us? Uh, yeah, well, the uh, w one of the best fantasies I've read in the last year or so uh, has been um, uh, N.K. Jemisin's Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, uh, the first book of her Inheritance trilogy. It's gotten all sorts of attention, uh, nominated for the Nebula, nominated for the Hugo, um, and it's, uh, it's a great book because it kind of, um, in some ways, uses some traditional settings and in some ways tweaks them and is also very much about political power in a way that uh, I think a lot of fantasy series avoid. Okay, you can, uh, you can get uh, N.K. Jemisin's The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, Inheritance Trilogy, Book One, at uh, uh, audible.com. Go out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for a uh, free trial membership. You can get the book for free um, and any number of other books. Uh, thanks for plugging that for us. All right, so let's, um, let's get crunchy. Um, let's give advice to the writers. Uh, let's say people are listening to the podcast, um, and they want to do a non-traditional setting. They don't want to have the same generic medieval Europe mm -hmm. that has been used all the time. What advice can we give them? How do you come up with a new setting? Well, obviously uh, uh, an intense amount of research. I mean, I've been reading about the medieval Middle East since I was a kid, and I still felt like I had to read tons and tons of books. Um, and <coughs> there's, a, there's a great series, actually, uh, called uh, Daily Life In, oh, and yeah. uh, it does a, a whole bunch of different historical settings and, and uh, historical and geographic settings, and, and I love that series. But books like that, that not only talk about the kind of big broad sweep of, of history in a, in a place, but also what did people eat? What did they yeah. make their buildings out of? Um, how, how did they pray if they prayed, and, and all of those sorts of things, I think. No, I've, I've, I'm familiar with that series, and it's a very wonderful <coughs> series. Um, I actually have one of them. Um, you know, I, I might make a suggestion here also. We, we talk about non-traditional settings, and one of the ways to write one of these is to pick a, an a, a Earth analogy. Um, a, a, you know, a world, or a, not a world, a, a country, or a time period, and say, I'm going to do this instead. That's a great way to do it. I've read, mm -hmm. actually, some really good Asian 
um, fantasies mm -hmm. taking place, you know, that's a, a faux medieval Japan mm -hmm. or a faux, I mean, Guy Gabriel K is a genius at this sort yeah, of thing. Definitely. Um, and, you know, he, ma he, he makes non-traditional settings by even using Europe. He'll be like, mm -hmm. well, I'm going to take France and use it. And it feels fresh because it's the, the problem with generic, bland medieval Europe fantasy is that it is generic, bland medieval Europe. And if you're actually mm -hmm. building a living, breathing setting, mm -hmm. It's going to be more have more life to it than that. Yeah, I think that you bringing up George Martin is a great example yeah. because uh, most of or a great deal of kind of quasi-European fantasy is really setting kind of D and D Tolkien yes. land. Yeah. And if you actually read uh, medieval texts, uh, for instance, the way that religion was so central to yeah. people's lives, is it, it drops out of so many of these yep. fantasy settings. The way that kind of social class was so important to so mm -hmm. many people's lives drops out. And so I think that absolutely a, a fantasy that really treats medieval, you know, th there's the quote that the past is a foreign country. Yes. <clears throat> and I think that a, a fantasy that takes that seriously can make any setting, you know, um, unfamiliar in interesting ways. Yeah, exactly. Right. If the past is a foreign country, and you're talking about the past in a foreign, for, is, it, is there like two levels of foreign country there? <laughs> there is that is. why we have a problem with this? <laughs> well, it's, it's learning curve. I think Saladin said it um, well at the beginning where, um, you know, when we're writing, we're trying to blend the familiar and the strange. Mm -hmm. This is what books are about. We go back to genres because we want to get the, the, some of the same familiar feelings, but we pick new books rather than reading the same books over and over again because we want to have some strange. Mm -hmm. And everyone's kind of desire and every genre's um, sort of feel for familiar and strange blends is going to be different. If you go to the romance genre, a lot of the, the subgenres in romance are going to have much less of the strange and much more of the familiar. Mm -hmm. um, and and this, is, this is what we're getting at. How much learning curve do you want? How much does a, does a reader have to get into when starting? But I think you can, you can mitigate these things in a lot of ways. Um, if, you, uh, if you're worried about your learning curve with a very non-traditional setting, you can ease the reader in without throwing as many new terms at them yeah. or by having a character in a familiar situation. You know, regardless of what culture and what part of the world and what time you're doing, if it's, you know, a father speaking to his son about, you know, growing up, then that's a familiar setting. Mm -hmm. You could start somewhere familiar. I think language is actually an important thing with this. When I did a, f a first draft of my novel, I used a lot of kind of quasi-Arabic terms for a lot of things. And I realized that, okay, this doesn't need to be a thulfikar. It can be just a sword. And it doesn't need to be some, <laughs> some tweaking right. of Allah. It can just be God. And, right. and I think that uh, th there's a fetishization of weird language in, uh, yeah. in, in a lot of fantasy. And I think as little and of that as fiction. possible. Yeah. yeah, and science fiction. And You know, um, some of that's going to give you that feel that you want. Yeah, but you need to be judicious yeah. with it. Too much, and it's very easy to have too much. Yeah. Um, you ever go into those, uh, those, what was that sword word again? Zulfikar. <laughs> Zulfikar. Um, do you ever go into words like Zulfikar? If you decide mm -hmm. not to use it to say sword every time you're saying sword, mm -hmm. do you ever grab that word to use, you know, for, uh, for a spell or, you know, for magic in order to add flavor to that? No, you know, what I actually try to do, the, the magic system in my book is actually kind of uh, faith-based. And essentially, um, a, a lot of the incantations are, are versions of prayers or versions of names of God, because in Islam, the God mm -hmm. has all these different titles. And um, what I found was actually just using the diction um, and kind of translating the diction from Arabic to English sounds strange enough that it it has this arcane, archaic kind of magical syntax to it, and, and so it doesn't sound like when you're speaking normal English. And you didn't have to use Latin. I did not have to use Latin. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one little other thing in here at the end, um, writing advice-wise. 
you know, we're talking about these non-traditional settings by focusing on different regions and, um, and ethnic groups or whatnot, but that's not the only way to do it. Um, and I'll say to you listeners, most of you, probably all of you, are really familiar with something that other people are not. Mm -hmm. Whether it is you grew up, um, you know, shearing sheep, or you grew up, you know, your parents were bookbinders or something like this. You can take some really simple things like that and build an entire setting around it. You know, you can have your non-traditional setting. Your, your, your parents are bookbinders. You can mm -hmm. be in the great, you know, city or the great, build, um, you know, kingdom of bookbinders. And you can have a bookbinder society. You can have a bookbinder magic. You can have, you know, you can mm -hmm. build off of some really simple yeah. things to build an entire culture out of. That yeah. if, you, if you work it into their history, their language, what the person is doing, and you can have a unique setting going that way. I think it's interesting when you talk to, uh, I, I've talked to a number of beginning writers that uh, when I look at their work, uh, it feels fairly generic. And then you get to talking people about their lives. Right. And they have these fascinating biographies because right. everybody's story is different. Right. And it's like, why aren't you putting the fact that you were raised on three different communes? Uh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, or you grew up shearing sheep. Why, why is there none of that? that in, yeah. How did not yeah. make it into your I book? had a friend who um, married a woman from Slovakia, <coughs> um, lived in Slovakia for many years, had learned the Slovakian language, who for some reason never thought, hey, I could write a really unique Slovakian-themed fantasy. Right. Um, and he did write one eventually, we talked about it, and he sold it yeah. because it was a non-traditional setting, um, books coming out in another year or so. It was really interesting. It's something he had an expertise on already. You don't have to go out and read 100 books. It's good if you pick something and then read something on it, but you can pick something that you're already familiar with and build off that. Yeah. Well, uh, Saladin, I think we may need to put you on the spot here to uh, take us home. Um, one of the things we do for our readers, our listeners, mm -hmm. excuse me, is we give them a writing prompt. Uh, often it's related to the cast, but sometimes when the, uh, uh, the guest has been put sufficiently on the spot, it's just <laughs> nonsense syllables. Um, so Saladin, writing prompt. Uh, writing prompt. Um, describe a food that is familiar to you from the point of view of a character who has never encountered it or anything like it before. Wow, that could be really good. That's way mac better than the nonsense yeah, syllable sweet. For someone yeah. who's never eaten it. Um, all right, you can find um, Saladin's work at his website, SaladinAhmed.com. Ahmed is spelled A-H-M-E-D. Yes. Um, Saladin is S-A-L-A-D-I-N. S-A-L-A-D-I-N-A-H-M-E-D.com. And there are some short stories up there um, mm -hmm. that people can read for free, and his book is coming out next year from DAW. That's right. Uh, thank you very much, um, and thank you for listening. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.